A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rule Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rilkens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. <laughs> oh, Nicole, can you believe it? It's been a year. It's been a year. I like can't believe it actually. And uh, I don't even know what to say because I think it's such an applicable thing to have this meta conversation about change horizons and it's like exactly the right thing um yeah. yeah i think the one good thing i'll say um a year later now i'm in a hotel room at an in-person conference with twenty thousand strangers wandering around me so that's like one mark of change that we should just all acknowledge some of this is huge there. change right and just for those of you wondering when this date was, it's the 9th of June, 2022. Um, it seems like all of the events, I saw recently a tweet uh, from someone that said, it seems like there's been a global cabal where everybody decided that all the events that didn't happen in the last year should all happen in the month of June of 2022. <clears throat> yes, that's correct. I got that message also. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. You're, you're in San Francisco. I'm here in Basel. I'll be there, you know, 10 days from today. Um, I'm jealous so of. We're, we, can, we can still, you know, we, we can jump back into planes and get back together. Um, um, yet, uh, having conversations of change, when they're most required, it almost feels like, mm -hmm. um, let me ask you, does it become easier or harder over time to have those conversations about change? I think one thing that's really been made much easier with COVID is this idea of people understanding how important it is to think about the audience that's there and, and people now they can personally recognize, oh yeah, when, there's a bad event and somebody hasn't thought about me as an audience member because they're broadcasting poorly designed content and they didn't really think about who I was like that's tangible now for so many people so in in a lot of ways like even at the beginning of COVID it was harder for me to have those conversations about why you needed to pay attention to attendees and not in design and it's it's much easier now because you're like yeah which day last week did you go to a poorly designed event? Because they're, they happen so often. Um, and it's just a much more tangible fact of life for people. Um, because I like to say, right, like all the grease on the wheels that existed pre-COVID and now is coming back, if we can consider this post-COVID, which we probably can't. But, you know, it's like, there's no coffee, there's no Danish, right? There's no cookies to 
like grease those bad content wheels to grease the bad audience experience wheels to grease the fact that somebody actually didn't think about what they wanted to do. They just threw content on a stage and put some cookies in the room and thought that that was going to be enough. So some of that I think is actually a lot easier now. I have, it is much easier to have that conversation, to explain it to people. They get it almost instantly. Now, here's my problem though today, it's are they willing to do the work necessary to then realize that problem that they have and say, I'm gonna do something different because of it. So they haven't actually fully made the change. They realize the change is necessary, but like now mm -hmm. it's like next there. Yeah. And it's interesting, like literally yesterday I was in doing a design uh, workshop with a group and yeah, they basically weren't participating. And I was like, I. You know, folks, like, I can't make this up for you. I mean, I can and I will, but you're not going to like it is what I tell them. Um, you know, you have to participate in the, in the process and be interested in what it is you're actually trying to do. Because if you're not, like, it becomes super challenging. Um, and I think that's a lot of it now. I think people are confused. What do they want to do? How do they want to come out of COVID? What is the change that they experienced in that period? Um, and I think there's a lot, I see a lot of uncertainty in those event owners and the leadership about what to do next. There, there's yeah. a lot of confusion. Well, it feels like their, <clears throat> their bag of tricks has increased over time. You know, not, not, you know, some of the restrictions around travel and getting back in person are uh, seemingly, you know, disappearing for a while or disappearing altogether, hopefully. Um, we were at IMAX last week, um, IMAX in Frankfurt, and we've had quite a series of conversations with you know different people that um, were describing their experience of being back at a live event. How would you describe your your experience like now in San Francisco? The thing you're going you're at right now. How how was that experience? So what I think is most interesting about it is how little changed. Like our, I'm so I'm at RSA, big conference, you know, probably was 30 or 40,000 people before COVID. Probably there's 20 or 25 of us there now. Hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm not in, involved in the content side. We, we have some content in the, in the education sessions, but for the most part, we're there with an exhibit booth and we don't even like my company doesn't even sell anything. We're not even there getting leads. We're just there like sharing our good news story about the work that we do and how, you know, one of the main products that a lot of people use came from my company. So there's like a lot of interest in it. And, and we don't even sell the product. It's open source. You can just go grab it and use it. It's like, it's free. You just use it. Anyway, we have our people who built it there, talking to people, sharing, helping them understand how to use it better, more, all that. And what I think is so interesting is that like the, there's so much that's not like the exhibit floor is the same. Like all the big players are there. Like all the tchotchkes are there. Everyone's there getting leads and scanning badges and people are having conversations on the floor. Um, and I guess I don't know what I expected if, if I expected it to be very different. Um, there's definitely a lot less money sloshing around. I did notice that a lot mm -hmm. less money sloshing around. Uh, mm -hmm. But um it's so the same. And so I can't figure out like, did, did folks not get the message? Is this audience and this community just not engaged in some of this thinking? Cause I would have thought that there would have been a different feeling on the floor and not like COVID impact, like people wearing masks or like lots of, 
you know, hand sanitizer, like not stuff like that, but just Mm -hmm. like a general sense of like, how do I, aren't there other better ways, deeper conversations I can have with people, um, better approaches to find people who are interested in what I'm interested in. And apparently there's not. So essentially no innovation over two years in that space. They just went like back to where they were. I was if they put the 2020 edition in the freezer, <clears throat> defrosted it at the end of 2021, and now are consuming that, um, which is fascinating because you're saying there's less money going around, there's less people coming to the event. Um, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, I'm just you know look reading it here. RSA conferences where the cybersecurity world comes together, right? So it's not like the cybersecurity problem has become smaller over the last couple of years, right? As far as I can tell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as far as I can tell, um, yet the ability to then um, build on from what we may have learned because we haven't had the event for two years and maybe redesigned it into a future state but also the fact that less people are coming to it what do you what do you attribute to that that to is there a scare of travel is there uh, less budgets has it become more expensive to participate in these events what's what's your take so my take on this is i think for savvy consumers um i think people are asking a lot more questions now about why they need to go to these, why they need to be in person. Why do I need to be in person? And so if you look at a show like say, um, and we don't need to harp on it, but I think there's like, there's the education component, which is actually a relatively expensive ticket. It's a $2,500, I think, you know, final reg price kind of thing. I'm sure it's a much better deal a lot earlier on, but like advertised prices right now is about $2,500 for an education track, which it's actually probably not that technical. It's it's a little bit more basic than you would expect, mm-hmm. um, but still solid content. Like you know, no, nothing to nothing to to say anything bad about. Um, like if if you're a leader in a tech organization, you got to send some people to RSA. You know, you're probably looking at a six or seven thousand dollar final price tag between the travel, the airfare, the hotel. You know, San Francisco pricey ticket, and if the content isn't that great, right, then what else are you going there for? There's this exhibit hall. It's a lot of business being done. You can tell there's a lot of business being done with the, a lot of sort of smaller companies so that sort of like young startup-y kind of ecosystem is really flourishing, lots of, you know, um, cross-pollination and things like that. But hmm. I think people are just, and then, you know, with the forcing function of COVID, everything moving online, um, you know, a lot of organizations are pushing towards the, you know, 365 year content, like an an evergreen content model. Um, They're less reliant, I think, on the in-person content streams to drive that, uh, the education component of their conferences. You're seeing that with HIMSS. HIMSS is another, so earlier last week, I was in Chicago um, doing some pre-work for the HIMSS conference, which is in the healthcare space. That'll be next April. Mm. And um, that's exactly their strategy. They're moving to a 365 year content model where everything will be open or not everything will be open. There'll be, you know, gates and all these kinds of things. But that notion of how do we create evergreen uh, pathways for content to exist? How do I change then my call for papers to drive an evergreen content model, right? So like thinking all the way back. So for, I saw a lot more innovation from HIMSS and, you know, 
who knows, right? Is that because of the industry? I would have thought the cyber industry would be just as innovative as the healthcare industry, but certainly there seems to be more, more there. Now, the other thing I'll say is I had more of an inside view. Kim's opened up their kimono a little bit to share it. Hey, this is our strategy with us you know, as vendors. I didn't get that from RSA. So maybe there's something that I'm hearing from him that RSA is doing too, and I just don't know. But I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, why are there fewer people here? I think it's potentially this combo of like, well, I don't need to travel. I can get my content sitting at my desk and then maybe I don't need to miss my kid's soccer game then. And, um, you know, June, I think is a really challenging graduations, like all the things that happen in June, a lot. And you, like you were saying so much competition, um, competition for people's time, right? So yeah. <clears throat> in a time when we just come out of two years where you could pretty autonomously decide, at least online, what you would contribute to or participate in, or maybe have two or three screens open at the same time. Uh, not saying that's good or bad, but now, you know, if you decide to travel like you to San Francisco and be at the RSA conference, or, you know, decide to go in April to the HIMSS conference next year, um, when you are there, your your focus of attention is pretty much on site, right? So. I'm distracting you because we're recording this uh, podcast conversation, which we agreed last year we we're going to have today a year out, right? Um, and I didn't realize you were going to be in the West Coast, you know, and, and this was going to be quite an early time slot. But it's funny how like the commitments we make through events or things we agree on, uh, uh, you know, we, we tend to stick to. And I think that's, that's something that um, taking calls whilst you're traveling or participating in meetings whilst you're on the road is it I notice it's very challenging I find it very challenging like when I when I'm traveling to an event like last week at IMAX or next week at World Education Congress it almost feels like okay guys don't count on me I'm gonna be off the planet for five days right um, I want to yes. focus on just this this is my preferred modus operandi when that happens but the business goes on and people expect you to still also dial in and be there at whatever time you, you normally would show up for these things. Um, and I wonder how much toleration we or how tolerant we have become or intolerant have become to to that being the case, right, as well. So <clears throat> um, um, for one, I appreciate you, you know, waking up early and wanting to hang out with us and our listeners <laughs> because these conversations are perpetual right when we talk about the horizons of change i'm glad to hear you're having these conversations i'm also glad to hear organizations like hims are opening up and saying here's our strategy this is our thinking and here's how it's relevant for you as a contributor to the event because i think unless you have insight or share the strategy of whoever the event owner is or the one that you know brings forward the event <clears throat> how else could you think about contributing differently in the future Right. I'm going to recall something you said last year here, just to spark your memory, uh, Nicole. And it said, uh, the question was, how do you articulate the value that it creates? The, the value being, um, you know, the vision and the event story that an event owner has. And you said, ah, this is where it can be fun to turn things around. <laughs> you used formulations <clears throat> at MITRE, for example, where you said, what if I told you that your event would transform employee engagement and expectations of how to engage with leadership? Would you be interested, right? And it's funny, the organizations uh, where you've been, right, uh, mentioning you, seen events be truly transformational. You had leaders that were deeply in tune with the power of events to serve their needs. 
they innately understood how to harness events and in many cases I did not need to sell the value. Do you think we'll have more of these opportunities in the near future or do we think we have to remind people even more strongly about this? So that's interesting that that's what I said. What I've found recently with that those leadership conversations is sort of two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, I think the cost savings that organizations have realized is very attractive to leadership. So this idea of, well, you don't need to go to that. You don't need to spend the money to go to RSA, Nicole. Just, you know, buy that $450 ticket and go watch the content online, right? And so that's the one side of the coin of like these conversations about like, you know, selling that value. And at the same time, right, there's this notion of something's missing. Something's still not getting, like something's not getting done. And they do understand that you have to go and be in person. And so now the pitch is less about, right? So if you're talking to one of those executives who's, you know, sort of zoning in on that cost savings, you know, nirvana, like, oh my God, like, yay, my expense line's gone down by whatever percent. Um, you know, it's about that idea of that's not what it was about. It was never about that education, like you're doing it wrong. Um, and it's more about this notion of like, well, when you think about the new thing you want to do or that, and literally we're, we're having this conversation this week where I was help to your point about like trying not to do two jobs at once. Like I had to start off an event design, like in my spare time while I'm here working a conference, a, a workshop. Um, and, you know, this idea of, it, they didn't even start thinking about anything virtual. Like they knew, they just, they got it, right? It has to be in person. And so there's, and they don't even know why yet, right? Like we're going to get them there. They're going to understand at the end of the event design process why that's mm -hmm. so important, right? And, you know, one of the things on the idea quarantine went up there and it was like, what if we have, and this is sort of a multinational thing and there's going to be bilats and multilats and all these kinds of things. And somebody said, well, what if we have like, you know, really sort of refined um, dinners where, and not from the perspective of like the food, but like the invitation list, like really put people together. The, and I was like, like, you know, sort of nodding along with them, smiling because like they, people innately understand this. It's very natural and um, they just have to get the words, get the framework. Like they need some of the tools to be able to explain it yeah. to other people and then be able to sort of share this thinking um, because it's, it's hard to explain that when you just feel it in your gut and you don't have the words to talk about what that means and what that value is. Hmm. Um, so that's what I've seen. It's like this two-sided coin where there's like the cost savings on one side, but the notion that that cost savings has moved people away from each other. And so then you've lost something and, and how do you um, figure out what, which side of the coin you really want to be paying attention to? Um, because in, the, in, in some cases, you know, and I've always said this, like there are so many bad events. There have been bad events since the first time two humans got together on the Savannah, like bad events have existed for all time. <laughs> and so, you know, um, those are, ne they're never going away. So, um, but the other thing I, I do now with people 
to help them like explain the horizon of change. And this is such a good season to do it in. It's wedding season, it's graduation season, um, is to talk about how horizons of change look in your personal life. It's like the easiest analogy to explain, right? Like think about a couple, they got married, maybe they get divorced, maybe they don't get divorced, they have kids, they have anniversaries, their kids graduate, their, you know, it's promotions in their life. And you see that horizon of change. You understand individually how that has impacted you. You, you can recognize it in others. Um, and like instant, like light bulbs go off when <clears throat> we're having this conversation, people are struggling to understand what it looks like to mark change with events and to have it be a record and to acknowledge the recognition that this is a mark in a life, in a, in a value chain. Um, so that's what I found is like the, the trick that works right now. Um, who knows how long that'll last. Yeah. When people are struggling to understand that it works. So, yeah. And I think having common markers, uh, um, helps people to, um, uh, to align with that. Right. So I think COVID is probably one of those common markers that we've all gone through yep. in a fixed moment in time, although in different continents, in different ways. Uh, but it, it, it uh, you know, and I, and I noticed that now going back to live event that, that very people are seeking to understand what's happening to themselves and to other people because of the things that you were just saying. Right. Um, and I think that's, what's so fascinating is people have a need to talk about these things. Yeah. Whether they understand yeah. or not, doesn't matter, but they have a need to talk about them and whether this happens over a dinner or whilst they're traveling or whilst they're talking to strangers or also talking to people on zoom or whatever, they listen to it on a podcast, whatever it might be, but you're looking for commonality or common experiences, right? Exchanged experiences because the common care creates a connection that then creates reason for next conversations. And I think, um, what I've really enjoyed and seen, let's say an opportunity almost mm -hmm. by coincidence, by the way, right? So let me sketch this example. I think we said it in one of our previous podcasts and recorded on site at IMAX is that I wasn't used to the sound level at a live event anymore. Right. So like at a live event, there's a lot of noise, right? A lot of people talking at the same time. And especially if you're in a hall and I'm sure you have the same thing now in San Francisco. And yes, it was tiring four years ago or three years ago when, you know, pre COVID, but now having been in your private office or in your home for, you know, two years without that sound level, it's very different. Um, we decided to bring our podcast on site with microphones and headphones and within the bubble of noise, we would have a focused conversation with the person right across from you from the table. And you create a little technical audio bubble within the bigger noise bubble that you're in, mm -hmm. which somehow changes the quality of the conversation to become super focused, almost like in a zoom call we're having now, maybe even more focused because you feel the proximity to the person you're speaking to. And I wonder if our auditors can hear a difference between, you know, the last, 14 podcasts that were published on this one and this one, right? Because there's what probably 10,000 kilometers between the two of us and the previous podcast, there was less than half a meter between, or let's say one meter between, you know, us sitting on opposite ends of a table. Um, and I think it changes the dynamic uh, only to the degree where if the people don't know each other, right? So, and that's another thing we discovered, which might be interesting maybe for the people listening is that 
we had an issue in our planning or in our design, right? We, we had a design flaw, which we weren't aware of, which was, you know, we had meetings with people that were coming for the podcast and we had a time slot and, you know, half an hour would be spent with that person. But we also had a booth at IMAX, which meant that people made appointments with us that we didn't necessarily keep track of very closely at first. So we had people showing up at the same time and then we didn't have the luxury, like you said, having enough people in the booth because uh, there was very few of us. And then people would show up and when you're in a podcast, you can't talk to the other person. Uh, so tip, tip of the week from last week is invite the person that shows up that you don't know into the podcast to talk to the other person that you do know and vectorize the information and, and, and the conversation, right? Okay. We've had some extremely good conversations. You can you know, check if you like uh, the podcast with Miguel Neves and uh, uh, Rodrigo oh, Cesar, uh, from, um, who are two people who've never met. Uh, I know Miguel quite well. I, I didn't know uh, Rodrigo yet. Um, um, but we found out in our conversation within 15, 20 minutes, we had a very deep conversation because we had common care. Apparently, we, you know, they were very familiar because our um, uh, Rachel in, in Brazil trained his team at Roche, you know, to, to use this canvas. And so he was, in, he was familiar with our subject matter. He spoke our language. We just had never met and knew from each other that that was the case. And so wow. in this triad conversation within 15 minutes, it's almost amazing what can happen, but I don't, I doubt whether it would have happened if we wouldn't have had the headphones and the microphones and had focused the conversation around just those three voices. Right. So I think the dynamic of like the technology, how you use a booth, how you use a trade show to have better conversations. I think there's still so much space to experiment. And this we just discovered by accident. Right. We could have, we could have thought of this, but we didn't. It was just a happy accident. And I'm sure we're going to use this over and over again now. So that reminds me of one of the interesting things that happened at our booth this week. Um, we have a, one of our executives here and she was you know, sort of around the booth here, there, but close. And uh, somebody walked up and asked a very pointed question that um, was sort of like, you know, like alarm bells kind of started going off. Like we need to put this person like in, in another company's parlance, it would have been like hot lead, hot lead alert, like, woo, woo, yeah. woo, woo. like <laughs> hit the red button. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, emergency. And so I was like, well, let me, let me like find her for you. We'll definitely put you in touch. Well, then she happened to walk by. Yeah. So these two people, as an investor and this executive, they stood, you know, to your point about like focused conversations and the space for them on that busy floor. They stood in front of the booth for maybe 90 minutes, just stood there, like in the hallway, basically. Talking. And yeah. it was, it, it was one of those things where you're like, uh, you wouldn't, we didn't have any place to put them. So it's not like I'm going to interrupt and be like, Hey, don't you want to go to the there's no place to go because again, to your point, like we didn't expect that to happen. So we weren't planning for like a yeah. random 90 minute conversation with like hot lead. Um, but that's exactly it. Like they had this incredibly focused conversation. Um, you know, our executive walks away from the conversation and she's like, that made my show. Like that exactly. was like, it could I, be one conversation to leave right now and be done. Um, and so that, that power in those, Again, like it's those human connections, like what if she decided I don't need this? So how you craft 
those shows, like what is RSA now, right? Like, is it an education conference? Well, maybe not. Maybe it's a business conference now and they need to drive towards that model much more deeply. Hmm. Um, or maybe it is an education conference. Maybe they want, you know, so those are the kinds of things that where you see things like that happening and you say like, where's like, where's the innovation? Like, where's the place that you all like figured out, you know, <laughs> quickly on the fly for that to happen. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. And also I'm wondering what, what would have happened. Let's say those two people were talking on the, you know, like okay. for 90 minutes, but what if in minute 10, somebody would have walked by that they knew and interrupted the conversation, maybe unintentionally or intentionally, right? Because they hadn't seen each other for a long time. And that moment of deep conversation got interrupted because it wasn't in a bubble, right? So. Somebody's not going to tap somebody on the shoulder if they're sitting in a podcast with a headset on and a microphone in front of them and they're talking, right? Even if you can't hear what's going on, it feels like that's a no-go zone to interrupt people, which yeah. is also quite interesting, yeah. right? Um, yeah, that is really true. So I think with audio, we have a lot of potential, especially with you know the power of trade shows. Like you said, this one conversation could make the whole investment worth your while, but also the form and format in which these conversations take place serendipitously, but then almost on the fly designed to go in three or four different directions, right? You could say, okay, you know, set up a new meeting at another time, go into a podcast to record it so others can hear the same goodness because it might be relevant to more people, whatever the form would be, you then almost need to be able to switch on the fly to come up with multiple ways of doing it and make sure, like you yeah. said, the people doing that are comfortable doing that, right? So are you comfortable? At first I noticed having people put a headset on and sit in front of a mic and hear yourself as if you're on the radio quite loudly, differently from the rest of the environment. It's, it's kind of a weird sensation at first, right? It's like listening yeah. back to the podcast you just recorded, right? Nicole, you know what that feels like. Um, so for yourself, it feels strange, but for others, it feels normal because, you know, this is how you hear each other. And um, so I'm fascinated again, you know, this, this whole conversation direction or spark or you know how it changes over time i find that fascinating mm -hmm. um and i hope you know with the ability so one thing i intended to do which i didn't do <clears throat> and i apologize i was intending to listen to our whole podcast like just before we're gonna have this one so i was fully oh, yeah. fully like up to speed on what you said last year and i could remind you right um and I wonder if that's going to be helpful or not, or if it's more helpful, like later you can listen to the one you recorded last year and the recorded, the one recorded this year and spot the Delta from there. And sometimes it's also more or less explicit. It's more implicit for yeah. the changes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting so, to consider that. Yeah, I wonder. Excellent. So what people don't know is that your Zoom just exploded, right? And uh, <laughs> now we're back into the same recording, Nicole. Um, Excellent. Thank I wonder you if that would have happened on site. Well, if you listen to a previous episode, I made two bloopers on site last week. Let me share those. I had hmm. the most fantastic conversation with Sabina Bonora, um, who is uh, one of our very first users of the event canvas uh, with a company called Medel. I had a fantastic conversation, but I forgot to press record. And so now I have to do it all over again. And I felt really bad, you know, not having like, because I was distracted through the conversation, I forgot to press the right button, which happens, right? Um, and then I did the same thing with a colleague of ours, Ingrid Rip, 
which in, in that case was funny. And we had time to re-record the second conversation, which actually we st starts off with a laughter, but because we had the first conversation, it was actually really fun. <laughs> so anyway, so this is the Zoom blooper where we have a little interruption and nobody notices because I pressed pause, right? Um, and you cannot press pause on normal conversations, but on Zoom you can. That's right. Um, so this is day two for you for RSA? Or day this is day four. Day four. Okay. Yeah. Today's the last so, day close to three. So yeah, yeah it's over. Or so at least for question, me. I can extend one more day, but I won't be here. That's the other question I have is like, what do you think is going to happen to the duration of events? Because like when I was at IMAX last week, I could have been there for six days, although after three or four days I was exhausted. But there's so many people I didn't meet that I wanted to speak to mm -hmm. because there's just too much like, um, non-conversation for two weeks or not the types of conversation you have on site. Um, how do you see that for 2022 and maybe for next year? How does that work for you guys? So I think, you know, one of the things that I think a lot about is this idea of, and you do too, like, you know, this notion of like audio, but like, for me, it's about like content and how do you, and it's the same problem we had with virtual, right? But now it's sort of, like sort of blown apart when you look at the on-site. It's like, how do you de deliver content and engagement to your audiences um, that optimizes their time and money investment, right? So like, I look at something like RSA and I'm like, honestly, like if you're gonna be, uh, that's a bad example. I feel like we keep harping on that. If, if you're a business conference, then like, not scrap the content, but maybe the content becomes more about conversation starters between people and less about education, right? Because that's that's what you can sell. You can sell education to your boss. That's why I'm going. But really, is that the benefit of being there in person? I'm sorry, with the technology we have today, which we didn't necessarily have five or 10 years ago, you had to go in person to get that content. Now you could just watch it any freaking time you want. Excuse my French. Um, and like you look at a model like HIMSS where that's exactly what they want to do. They want to drive to this 365 always on content model, which is a pretty good idea, right? Because you can, in fact, dis separate the delivery of content from the human engagement. And in fact, you will probably increase the quality of both when you do that. And like, we've got examples all over the world of that, right? Yeah. Like TED conferences, like Netflix, like content delivered well, that is asynchronous and can exist in perpetuity. Human connections though, well then how do you then create the models that work for your industry, for your level of people, for the kinds of people that you have, introverts, extroverts, like whatever. And are people paying enough attention to what that means when you start to tear apart what had historically existed together because the technology couldn't support one piece of that. So that's what I like. When I look at this, I say to myself, like, if you're paying attention to people, how they want to spend money, what they want to spend money on, how long they want to be away from their family, are we driving enough towards this notion of like, if I'm going to go in person, it's going to be to meet other people because mm -hmm. I can get my content online. Like, why do I need to show up and sit in a room with 200 people? have a hard time watching the slides because they're not bright enough or big enough or the presenter has an AV tech issue The you know, they aren't practiced. Like so much can go wrong in that delivery of the content that um, yeah. can be controlled 
with you know other now you'll miss the opportunity to talk to the speaker so like you know there's it's not a perfect model but there's something there i feel like where the design process can get to the heart of this like what are we trying to change in these people what is the difference that needs to be made um and then how can we create those events that then become like just I call it, I call it magic, right? When I, when I'm selling this internally, I'm like, have you ever been to one of those events? That's magic. You just leave and you're like, it just hit the right notes for you. Um, and everybody has, so everyone can relate to that question and it just gets their wheels turning about like, what if I could help make an event like that for others? Um, and it gets people excited. I think, I think that's, that's, um, that epiphany of having that feeling can happen at the end of the design cycle, but most probably can happen when it's actually delivered, right? But um, but I think you need both to be successful. Um, um, funnily enough, we had Katie from who um, from the Anchorage Chamber, Chamber of Commerce just sent me an Instagram message yesterday. Katie, if you're listening, thank you for sending that. We'll post it, uh, we'll <laughs> repost it on our channel soon. Um, but she actually mentioned this, that, you know, you know her, her design project was, you know, it seemed to be working until three weeks ago. And then the whole thing just, you know, had a meltdown and she had to start from scratch because like she, she wasn't on the right track or the team didn't gel with the thing. And then she started it over again. And um, what she mentioned in that um, in that message was actually now I'll, I'll just read it out uh, yeah. loud because I got her permission to do that. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was it was very telling for what you're just saying. She said, um, I'm almost overwhelmed with how wonderful and different it turned out, right? It's nothing like what I originally thought and really meets the overarching aim. I'm over the moon with the program and I feel ready to move from being an event manager to an experienced designer. And she said, the buy-in is insane. <laughs> I wouldn't believe it if I didn't experience it firsthand. They all want to help make it come to life. And that alone to me is worth on any organization doing events, investing in designing using this methodology, right? So. And it's funny to see that, you know, even the suspension of disbelief long enough and failure to then try again a second time and see this success leads to a lot lower threshold to then make that thing come to life. Right. And I think this is this is something I'm I'm really excited about to see that because you've seen that a couple of times over and over again. And so it's almost like when you then experience a couple of rounds where it doesn't work like that or the stars don't align exactly in terms of how you get the team together. You're still driven to try to make that happen again and again and again because you've seen it before and you know it can happen but you need all those right ingredients right the right amount of team and time and space and all these things that you need to to make it come to life um let me share another story so this morning and yesterday and the day before i'm i've really fallen out of love with online events except for one that i was in just recently again there are some really good ones out there too right if you haven't seen one, I recommend you check out uh, FT Live, Financial Times, um, Global Boardroom. It's actually a free event. You can participate for free. Okay. It's very interesting. And what triggered me was they have, it is almost like a highly journalistic content interview style panel sessions. And normally you have a healthy allergy to panel sessions, but these are done with Manals? Was it a manal or a panel? No, no, it was, it was duly mixed and I think you know, <laughs> very deliberately kind of put together, although not all of them. Um, 
but the content of them, you know, the thing that triggered was that, you know, Zelensky was going to be one of the presenters as a keynote. You know, well, you don't get those every day. Um, and on one of the days, I think they had somebody speaking from the space station. So they have a couple of like magnet things that make you pay attention. But the conversation in between were actually fantastic. And I switched them on in the morning, you know, watched them in real time live because the live content was free. Mm -hmm. But the recorded content is a subscription model. Huh. Clever. Right? And because the time zones are, you know, not always convenient for everyone and it's a three day thing and not everybody loves online events anymore, at least most of them. But if you see the kind of content curation and, you know, preparation, story expertise that the journalists have at the Financial Times to go into a very specific subject for the duration of XYZ and look at their skill set of them extracting the information from three or four opposing views or you know different angles of a story i think there's a lot to learn yep. in terms of journalistic skills right which i think is another challenge that most event designers and event producers have is that they're not using the right talent yet well this is what i say internally when people come to me like hey we've got this great idea for an event usually for you know up until maybe 3 months ago it was always online because I totally hear you, the, the quality of online events is atrocious, um, especially in a world where we have Netflix, Prime Video, Apple TV. Like, it's not like people aren't willing to watch, you know, quality broadcast. Prime produced content, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's three factors, right? It's the content, the talent, and the production. And it's not like the old thing. Do you want it cheap? Do you want it fast? Or do you want it high quality? Pick two. Pick one. You usually get either content, talent, or production in any given organization. Pick one. For God's sakes, sometimes you don't have any of them. Sometimes your content sucks. You don't have a good charismatic speaker and you don't know how to do production. And that it's garbage. It's garbage. And so when you, and then it's, it is, it's like, aha, when an organization gets it right. Cause you're like, oh my God, like, this is why I can binge watch Bridgerton. Like, because they got it right. Yeah. Um, and so do I think. You, do you end up, Nicole, do you end up yeah. like geeking out on decoding what they're doing right? Do you have that same kind of bug? <laughs> I mean, like I, to me, it's just, it's so straightforward, right? Like it's three factors, it's talent, content and production. And so for, I like, and it, you like what your point about storytelling, right? The fact of the matter is in, and I'm on the B2B side of things, right? So the fact of the matter, that's probably B2C. Fact of the matter is like B2B storytelling is like, they are, they, they are challenged by that, right? Like as a category, I feel like um, it's one of the things that my organization is struggling with right now. Like we just brought in somebody to lead content because how do you get storytelling right? And we have great stories at MITRE. I mean, like we have great stories, but we don't tell them very well. And so just getting that, like fix that first, right? Like get people in place to tell great stories and then, you know, those go online and then you could translate that into events. And so for me, you know, just getting people to realize that just because they have an idea about a really good piece of content doesn't mean, right? And again, coming back to design thinking and, and using the canvas, like just because you've got a great content uh, thing, I won't even call it a story because it's probably not a story yet. It's just a Thing, 
um, doesn't mean you can make that into a quality event. It just doesn't because your story might not ever be ready. Your talent might not be capable of doing it. You're, there might not be an audience for it, right? Um, and so, you know, what is what does that ultimately look like? Um, and then are you willing to go to the table and sit in the workshop and say, we're going to figure this problem out together, you know, to your point about like making that magic happen and getting the right ingredients. And um, yeah, so that's where I spend the time now. It's like, how do I get people willing to make the investment and not just, you know, this is what I say all the time. Don't just pull out an Excel spreadsheet and start mapping your agenda because you are going to make a terrible event. Like, oh, better start the keynote at nine o'clock so we can have a 9.15 break and a blah, you know, you're like. <laughs> I'm glad to see that that hasn't changed and that still doesn't work, right? Still um, doesn't work. It didn't work before. <laughs> the question, will it ever work or has it ever worked or at what stage does that work? Um, I think that could only work if you are so embedded in your organization, in the knowledge of your stakeholders and have sort of like, and you can embody them so in, and you're so in tune with them that like, you don't need to go through that thinking process. And I think that would be very surprising. And then still those people make the mistake of looking at it only from their perspective, right? So you could be enamored with your story, but <laughs> if the one that's receiving it has a very different need, um, it will still not land very effectively. And I think this is what's so magical about having people think on behalf of other people. You will spot those, yeah. those flaws quite quickly, right? And you know, like like Katie said, it ended up very, being very different from what we thought at first it was going to be because we took the effort of thinking like the other people for a while, and then re-putting the thing back together. And I think um, if you don't take that time, fully agree with you, you know, then you might as well not bother doing that. Um, um, and, and, and allowing yourself to just not waste that time altogether from yourself or your talent or the people that are going to watch the talent. Um, awesome. I realize on day four of an event like the one that you're at and you're traveling in another time zone, how, how do you think people physically cope with live events and traveling and how's that? Is it different from before or is it the same or how, how do you feel about like do we have the same level of stamina or are people more quickly more tired or are they more excited, more energetic? What do you see? I'm definitely seeing people are are tired. I see it in um, <clears throat> in personally our staff, people saying like, wow, I'm worn out, you know, earlier than I would have feel like I would have been. Um, personally, I'm seeing a lower tolerance level myself. I'm like, I don't want to wait in a line for a $17 sandwich. That's mm -hmm. not very interesting anymore. No. Like, no. It's not time I well spent, right? Nope. Nope. <laughs> unless, nope. Unless in that line you speak to the person behind you and that ends up being a 17-minute very good conversation. Um, you know, I'm not interested in, um, you know, drinking bad coffee that's cold, you know, after waiting. And, you know, like, so some of the things that happen at large conferences, um, I am personally not interested in anymore. And I think to myself, how do we curate a more, um, I'll use the word refined, but that's not quite what I mean. 
Um, but an experience that is more um, deliberate and human is probably better language to use. Yeah. Uh, because you, and, and I'll say this, like, I think I'm not interested in large events anymore. You know, they're just not that interesting. There, you said it, you said it. Yeah, <laughs> I would rather be in a place where, you know, to your point about that focused podcast inside of a larger event, how do you, if you, if large events are not gonna go away and they're obviously not gonna go away because they're, they're such a big business, but then how do you drive towards a design uh, approach that creates the the specific deliverable of meaningful conversation? Within the bigger structure. Human to human. Um, and that's the part that like, you know, we, that I think is the best part of design, the event design process is that humanization. Most people forget that it's people and, and, and whether or not COVID helped or hurt, I still can't figure out in that design process, but, um, there's, that's the piece that like, I come back to over and over and beat the drum in my workshops. Like it's about people. It's about humans. You know, how would you feel if somebody did that to you? Right. Like back to the empathizing, you know, like, how would you feel if somebody made you sit in a big auditorium to watch a pre-recorded broadcast? You'd feel yeah. pretty dumb. Yeah. Yeah. As you think to yourself, I flew to San Francisco for this, like what, you know, and not to say that RSA did that, but like some of the things that we think are okay, they're not okay. Yeah. Like we're treating other humans this way. Yeah. Um, so I think of, I see a very conscious, what I hear you saying as well is a very, the level of consciousness around time and how you spent it has raised dramatically yeah. on an individual level for most people. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. And that in itself will drive this, I think, um, focus on, on the human side of what you really need from it and what makes it so different to travel somewhere and be there for a couple of days and spend that kind of money and time and effort. Um, and be consciously aware of the opportunity cost of the, all of the other stuff that doesn't get done because you're choosing to do that. But that's why, you know, somebody said yesterday to me, um, where people used to go to nine to 12 events per year, I think they're going to go to three or four events per year now, right? It's, and, and, and it might be driven by budget or other things, but it's mostly driven by human need that, A, you know, you want to carefully select which ones you do spend your time on. And when you do go, go to them, you might be better prepared, more engaged, um, more willing to spend time before and after those things. Um, mm -hmm. And then show up more present than having to rush from you know from from one event to the other and hit one every month of the year, right? Um, yeah. My schedule doesn't look like that for the next three week, three, three months. I know that much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how does yours look? <laughs> my, yeah. So of course my schedule. <clears throat> the two things I learned about this week are immediately preceding um, a very. Uh, fixed internal activity that cannot be shifted. And these two other things are very external and cannot be shifted. And so, you know, it's that old, you know, Brock's colliding situation. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, your point much earlier, you know, about everything turning on, like the demand signals that we are seeing, it's just like everybody wants right now in person, um, and there's not enough time and there's not enough money and there's not enough people. And so what's going to give? 
for folks. Um, and that'll be that'll be interesting to, to watch play out. Yeah, because people will make the choices themselves, ultimately, what where they decide to then have to be, right? Because yeah. you cannot be in two places at the same time. Um, I think that's going to create part of the fallout of, you know, the good stayers and the events that might be losing, if you consider an event as something that needs to be, um, you know, having a personality of, of its own. In our, in our first book, it just reminded me that, you know, the opening of that book, and maybe it's a good thing to kind of close on, we said, to all events around the world, you're only as relevant as the people who participate, their need you fulfill and the experience you bring, challenge the norm, make yourself matter, right? <laughs> Which is exactly what you said. Like, if the event matters most, that's the one you will attend, and you will skip the other one, right? Uh, and it is good, I think, to have the right. That's like a reinforcement of, you know, I'll call, I'll use the word values, but in, in business, it's probably not the right word. It's the business demand, the business mandate, you know, um, uh, mandate, the most important priority. Um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, we make these choices every day, right? Like, am I going to take that meeting at five o'clock? Am I going to go to soccer practice? Am I going to, you know, work an extra hour on a Saturday? Or am I going to take my, you know, kids to the pool or go to a birthday party? Like, what are, how am I going to spend my time? Um, and it's so interesting that we forget. It seems, or it's, what it feels like to me is that people forget. They know how to be that in their personal lives and they forget how to be that in their work lives and they don't make they don't let their choices reflect their values yeah which i think is is probably going to that must change or it will change right it will change yeah, and maybe it, it takes to. a little bit more maturity or a little bit more daring attitude as well right because maybe in your business life you're a little bit more I don't know, flexible or adaptable to the needs of what it is that others decide is what they want you to do. Yeah. But I see more of what you were saying before as well as like, people are speaking up more and they're saying more what, you know, this is against my values or I, I will not travel, you know, across the planet to go and sit and watch a pre-recorded video in an amphitheater with 2000 people, because that's not, that's not ethical. You don't do that. Right? That's not part of my values and if not my values maybe my kids values or you know the, the people around me will 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 tell me that that's off right so um and an I interesting really, like uh, overlay we didn't even talk about was this notion of like the sustainability factors which i think over time will really start to play into the decision making process for all of these things like to yeah, your point about like is it ethical to get on a plane to fly and watch something pre-recorded yeah. from a sustainability perspective it is probably not ethical yeah plus the ethics and the the efforts and the commitments on a business sense are now being being made tangible measurable reportable and when that happens it's very simple right it's like do you want to go to that conference well you know our co2 carbon points for this year for conferences have run out you will need to trade it with someone else or with something else in order for that to happen right so it's going to be opportunity cost in not just time but also what you said the sustainability elements um, which are going to help take those decisions more rationally if they're poorly put together. And mm -hmm. so I think that focus, I was encouraged to see, you know, last week at IMAX, a very strong push towards this, and not just a push, but also the ethics of action, mm -hmm. uh, long overdue, but well necessary. Um, and ultimately, if that's where demand goes, 
supply will follow. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think that's that's ultimately what uh, what will happen. Yeah. But well, then coming back to like not to beat the drum again, but like you look at like, well, how would you solve a problem like that? Well, right, like use the design, <laughs> like use design, like that's how design restriction, right? Yeah. It's something you put in and say, we have well, this is what we're committing to, or this is what we're expecting right. from this. Um, and then that becomes, you know, you harness that instead of, you know, anyway. Yeah. As always, an a very interesting conversation. <laughs> Nicole, from across one side of the, you know, the, the for UTC minus eight, what are you now? What time is it in San Francisco now? 8 a.m. What time is it for you? 8 a.m. I'm at uh, 1728 here in Switzerland. <laughs> so we're on two opposite ends of the day. Your day is starting with a conversation. My day is closing off with a conversation. Um, it was a treat to hang out with you again, right? I'm sure we're going to do this again very soon. Um, I'll throw another rope out for a year from today, but I'm sure we're going to talk before. We definitely will. Okay. Thank you, Nicole, for your conversation. And have a great rest of the conference in San Francisco. I will. Thanks. You've been hanging out backstage on Design to Change Designer Conversations. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using hashtag design to change and hashtag event canvas. Want more thought provoking content like this? Visit designtochange.online to purchase your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Don't forget it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format, and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune into our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation.